today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Scott Radley in for Scott Thompson today. I want to bring in a good friend. He's a colleague. He writes for The Spectator. He is a Hall of Famer in, well, at least two sports that I know of, Canadian football, media wing, and figure skating. He's probably a Hall of Famer as a writer in others as well that we don't know about. We'll let him add those if he wishes. His name is Steve Milton. Steve, how are you? I'm great, Scott. Nothing to add. No, no other ones. Nothing to add to that, really. No, and uh, no, you weren't. You, you, know. you didn't get into the breakdancing hall of fame as a participant or something that we don't know about. Well, maybe what? When is it? When's breakdancing in the Olympics? Twenty four and Paris. I think so. Right. You've got two new yeah. hips, though. I don't know that we want you doing yeah, that. Would, yeah. <laughs> and that's put a new word, a uh, new uh, emphasis on the break part. That's right. Yeah, it's supposed to be break dancing, not dislocation dancing. That's right. Yeah, and uh, I might break my hips. So, yeah, how you right. Well, talk to you for a couple of days. So. Yeah, you know what? It's been a while, and and I wanted to bring Steve on because uh, Steve is not in Tokyo right now. That said, Steve has been to uh, Steve has been to more Olympics than probably there have been Olympics. Steve was That's you don't true. know most people don't know this, but Steve actually lit the initial torch back at Mount Olympus when it first started, and uh, has been there ever since. And um, it, it was hard Go ahead. to see the guy die at the finish line at Marathon. What was coming? That's right. Yeah, Phidippides. He was a great guy. I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> so, okay, before we get started in this for what's going on now, I want you to settle an argument. We're, we got another right. argument coming up in a minute, but I want you to settle an argument first. There is, on Twitter right now, there is a huge thing going on about how you are supposed to, what the order when you look at the medal count, how it's supposed to go in order. Is it total medals first or is it gold medals first? What is the proper way to put them in the in the position? Well, of course, that depends on where you are. <laughs> depends <laughs> if your country depends is first. What, depends on how the host country does. It uh, It is generally being gold medals. Uh, and, of course, I it, you know we really switched to that uh, in Canada, of course, and uh, we, we try to play that down. For oh, how many years would we have played that down? Uh, first games that we had, here all of them, seven, seventy-six, right? So we played that down. Uh, but uh, generally, uh, gold medals are are where uh, where it's done first. But there, I don't think there's any hard and fast rule uh, it, that I remember in the Olympic uh, uh, charter because they don't. It, it's it, remember it's a nation thing, uh, and uh, that, I think it. You know, they're trying to downplay all of that uh, about nations, but it definitely is a nation thing. So uh, um, finishing first tends to be a thing. Uh, so I think I would say gold medals. Uh, I hope I didn't. I don't know what side of the argument you were on, but I think. No, I, I don't have a side. I don't have right. a side. It's just, it's so funny because those, the, the Americans right now are, are running it as total medals and the Chinese are running it as gold medals. And you can tell which one is probably on which side of the better side of the right. ledger. And you're right. I think it depends entirely on where your country is on how you how you do this. Unless you're, you know, Liechtenstein, and then you put it in as any metal. It's not country. I think we, we, you might might have talked about this privately before, but I, but I, I, it's not just country. It's uh, regional as well. Europe in Europe, it's almost always uh, they go by gold medals. Uh, You know, and and you're thinking they're the custodians of the games because they started there, and it was mostly a European event at the start. Uh, you know, it has that sort of stodginess to it. But uh, like all things that are around Olympics, uh, stodginess is, is hard to break. And, and uh, um, so I, I still think the gold medal type things, we're, look, let's face it, uh, we're in a winner's kind of society, and it, 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 it's great. I mean, to, to be on the podium is incredible. 
uh, if you even get to an Olympics, uh, if you know anybody who's a near Olympian, how good they are. People who didn't even make the Olympic team, but are, are Olympic-style athletes, you know how good they are. So to get on a podium at, at uh, on this kind of stage is incredible. But to be at the top of it, there's a big difference between first and second. A massive mm. difference. Massive, massive. Way bigger than there is between second and third. Uh, and now, people will also tell you that fourth is the worst place you can finish. You know, like that, it all looks at that's 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 clearly if you do all that work, I suppose that if you miss a gold medal by one one hundredth of a second or something, that's going to sting. But to get no medal and to miss by a little bit, absolutely. Well, that's uh, okay. Let me let me and you'll, and you'll remember that medal forever because you know thirty years from now, what you've got is Olympic medal. And you and you know who you can ask about this. I think again, we Joanne Millar. Well, there's Joanne, and of course she was in a, in a kind of a, in a rig race there. She really finished second, but I think there's no doubt about that. But but in on a, on a more pure quote unquote sense, you can talk to the 1998 uh, Canadian Olympic men's hockey team. They kind of sleptwalked through the bronze medal game, and I bet you every single one of those players now regrets that. Let me ask you, okay, let's dive into this some, with some Canadian stuff. I'll, I'll let you choose. Do you want to do the good right. news first or the bad news first? Okay, let's do that. Bad news. All right. This probably has been, I would argue, the single most disappointing summer in history for Canadian international basketball. Would you disagree? No. Uh, not not against expectations. That's what I mean. Uh, yeah, a disappointing. Expectations. So, yeah, you can't be disappointed unless you've got expectations. Yes, you're right. So I, I think I, I'm not sure there's any argument to that, against that, right? You I know, don't think there's any argument against that. Our Canadian men should have been in the Olympics, and if they yep. were, boy, it's it's hard to not picture the, picturing them being in the top three or four. And the women, um, I mean, this was... I, this was not, I can't, I don't know what you can ever say that was an expected medal because of what you just said a moment ago, but yeah. this was as close to an expected medal as there ever was in women's basketball for our country. I think, I think when they did the, the medal count and predictions, and it was always somewhere between 20 and 22, like might, might be the low end of that right now. I, I'm sure that, that the women's basketball team was one of those medals they were almost completely counting on. Whereas the soccer one was not, was not. And it wasn't yeah. necessarily counted upon because of relative world standings, because of changes and all of those things. Now, uh, Canada probably faced uh, a little more difficult road—not uh, road, but but you know, some conditions were a little more difficult than than uh, most other nations because they never really get a chance to practice together, particularly in the pandemic and all of those kinds of things. But they did have time. Uh, they did have some pre pre camp, and they did did do some stuff. So this was, yeah. There's a you look at both of those teams like the the Olympic and of course you can throw the I guess you could throw the Raptors into that too right uh, when you when you count all of that and and if you if you throw the men's into that and how something always seems to happen whether it's a hurdle or there's some mistake or there's something there's something they fall behind a key basket not made a uh, a run in this case it was what that 18-0 run or 18-point run or something. Uh, that Spain went on at the end, and who knows? I mean, they're still counting on other people to help them get in, which isn't good. They should never put themselves in that position. And then, they, and in game one, losing that game two, and, and, and or game also. Uh, so, you know, it's an extraordinarily disappointing result. We look back at that, and you'll look at all of the results as a whole now, and you go, okay, well, 2012 was pretty good, and there were some breakthroughs and all of those kinds of things. But all the years they didn't qualify. It was always something happened. Same thing with the men. But I will point to 
our earlier discussion, which is the women's soccer. Uh, just what we touched on it briefly. They went through the same thing for a long time, and then they had to break through. There was just this little, there was a thing that happened, and it may have been the game against the U.S. I think it was something before that. I think it was the rival of uh, John Herdman and, and the, uh, you know, uh, who was able to coalesce, which was kind of a, a we look back on it now, that was a, a golden generation of players who were in the second golden generation, maybe a third golden generation of Canadian players now. And uh, and look what they're doing now. They have suddenly learned how to, you know, they've snuck under the radar big time. They, what did I see it somewhere in the in the Guardian coming out of Australia saying, it's about the most low-key run to a finals in a team sport we've ever seen. Well, part of the reason for that may also be because the American women's team, for a variety of reasons, some of which are even to do with soccer, uh, seem to suck up all the air in the room, whether it's from social movements or right. kneeling or Rapino or all these things. Like there, there is no other women's team in the tournament, you would think, based on coverage. And so it's a little easier probably and, and and again, it, it, what's really difficult, Steve, is that the women's soccer team, when they in London in 2012, and then in Rio when they did exceptionally well, you're right. There were very few expectations this time. There were a lot of expectations on the basketball team, and maybe it's Correct. the next time then because we now say, much like people are saying with the Leafs, you know what, you can't win, you can't win, and then next time you suddenly say, okay, you know what, no one's expecting it. Now we can do it. And it's not just about expectations, too. I think it's just something that happens and that if you can get over a certain hump, you know, I think the people had begun not having expectations, and we'll go back to baseball, of the Boston Red Sox. And once they got over that hump, uh, you know, they're in one year, you know, they're out of it horrible, and the very next year they're contending again, you know. And, and, and what have they won three times since they did win? Or including the one that they did win after not after nearly a century? And, and uh, you find that uh, with... with uh, Several teams there, they you know get over this hump, get over this hump, get over this hump, and once you once you get over that particular first thing, then uh, then uh, yeah, an expectation is part of it. It makes it a little easier if you haven't you know got the expectations, uh, which sometimes lead to expectations of failure mm. as well. And uh, but I mean yeah, I think if you just go on flat out rankings, Canada, even going into the real games because uh, we didn't know how the the next well it, you know luckily Sinclair came back of course, but and still had a lot in her for both 16 and 20. They weren't sure even if, uh, you know, uh, they would. And now you can take a look. It's only three years to the next one. Can she hang on for another one? Not that she's the player that she was, but she's still, you know, in the top four good. or five players who ever played the game. And, and, uh, and in fact, we've seen in the last three games involved, and I write about this in Spectator uh, later today, uh, we've seen three of the greatest uh, uh women's player in the history of the game on the same field, uh, you know, because we've had Sinclair, Marta from, uh, uh, Marta was there uh, from Brazil uh, in that game. And uh, then the two from the U.S., as you said, they sucked all the energy out of the room, perhaps, or all the attention out of the room, but also they're great. <laughs> you know, Carl so, Lloyd and Rubino are among the greatest of all time. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. So we talk about expectations and Canada comes in with very little expectations from people back home, but hope, but not expectations. Now they're in the finals. Does that change? Do we expect them to win or are Canadians just hoping they can win? Well, you know, these are, I mean, both, neither team has, you know, the Australians at least have been there before, right? And so they have a greater sense of expectation. 
uh, when you when you check out some of the the world media of the, of the games, and if you're on the feed, and I know you are, uh, then you you see it's written about differently in different places. So here we might expect it a little more than, but in the but uh, in the United or sorry, all of, in all of the other other uh, print print around the world, the European, the the, the Australian, uh, the Brit, uh, including Britain, I guess, and, and European American press. Uh, they they think that Australia has more of an expectation of wins, where Canadians don't necessarily have that expectation of wins from the country. I don't think that's true. I think we've got that same feeling uh, that that uh, we had after the American game in 2012 in England. Yeah, yeah. Because, I think know, a switch has been mind, flicked. It, it switched yeah. the flick. Yeah, yeah. Flick the switch to flick. Flick the switch. Yeah. And, and I, th- I think it really did. And and uh, we we went uh, you know holy smokes like this is this this team. Hasn't disappointed, and if even they lose in that this game, I mean, even in the France game, which they won the gold medal, they only got over. The, I don't think they got over the center line in the first half. And yeah, the bronze medal, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I remember yeah. Melissa Tancredi taking herself off, like dragging herself off the field because she thought, "I can't be of any more use. I, I've, I'm spent. I can't be of any more use. But for the team's sake, I've got to get off the field." That didn't change. Uh, the way the game went, the other team still controlled and should have won. But the goaltender was fantastic, and then they got you know that, that incredible goal, one of the greatest. Still, I still think the turning point goal in Canadian soccer history. Uh, it was certainly female, but I would say overall too. And now, of course, the best, the biggest goal in Canadian soccer history was Jesse Fleming. Yeah, uh, and and you know, and, now, and the reason. And Steve, the reason I think the expectation has changed is, you know, if when David had beaten Goliath, if there was someone else that he had to fight next, we would have expected once you've beaten Goliath, you're going to win the next one. Because yeah. so when the when Canada has beaten the states, I think the expectation now is, okay, you got rid of the big bad bully in the way. Now it's yours. We we will see. That same oh. thing though. Let's switch. That same thing goes to Andre de Grasse. All right. He's now. Yeah. We've got two Canadians in the two hundred meters. Another good news story. Um, yeah. Two Canadians in the two hundred meter finals. You don't have Usain Bolt there anymore. Uh, you know the hundred meters. It's so close. The, the the guys are all so incredibly fast that you know it's a little more of a crapshoot. But you look at de Grasse. I think there's an expectation now almost that this is his event to win if he's going to win one. Here, yes, I think so, and I think we thought the same thing with uh, Penny Alexiak, and, 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 and didn't we? And in, in her in her better race, the one shoot that she medaled in last time, we thought at least that, that we expected that medal, and, and, and she missed it. Um, so, I, I I I think that's true, and um, but you know, there's some people that are running some fabulous times, right? The difference with the people that are running those great times, and perhaps where the two Canadians are is they have faced this before. Uh, Brown in the World Championships and 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 the uh, uh, grass in the last Olympics, right? So they have been there toward to the podium before in those major championships and done what they're supposed to do, and and uh, or close, to, you know, if, if not a perfect race, they've done very close to what they had hoped and expected to do. So I think that gives them some kind of advantage. Now the, the that said, there's those a couple a couple what was that a 19 year old American that runs. A billion miles an hour, um, the, the, and then they've run fast times. So let's see what they do when they have the expectation because of the fast times. And there's a whole difference between running a fast time and then winning against the other guys. And I think that gives the Canadians some advantage, at least to get to the podium. I don't know that we'll have one or even two on there, but I think it's going to be awful close for them to, 
the winner. And there's, you know, how much difference is there in the, you know, in the, in the uh, it, it, there's uh, a bigger difference than there is in the hundred because you have closers and uh, starters in, in, in the race as well. Yeah, and, and more space you, and, and more room and, and more room, room to spread and, out. And visually makes a difference. You can't just look to the lane either side of you and guess wrong and those kinds of things, which way you're looking. You, depending what, that's why it's so important in races in the 200 and above. 200, particular, the 200, I think, which lane you're in, really, that's why people try to get three and four, right? And particularly three, you know, because you can really see the person who's expected to win. You've got a pretty good look at the two beside you. You can feel them. And, and to your right, uh, you, you, you can see the, basically the whole field and how much stagger you have to make up how much you have to close. And, and while we're on that, the 400, did you watch that? I didn't see that one. I did not see that one. Might have been the greatest race I've ever seen at the Olympics. Might have been the greatest race I've ever seen. I mean, it, it, it came Better than Edwin Moses? It, it was like an Edwin Moses type of thing. Yes, better than Edwin Moses. I think you're wow. in that territory right now. I think you're in wow. that territory right now uh, with that race. I mean, the, 32 days ago, Scott, the record... For the for the hurdles, uh, uh, world record was forty six seventy two, and only one person had ever gone under forty seven seconds, and that was in nineteen ninety two. And that record had stood since nineteen ninety two. Thirty two days ago, the guy who won this thing, uh, Norway, uh, what's his name, Chris uh, Warholm, uh, he he ran, he broke that by point oh two. So he was just the second guy to go under forty seven seconds. Yesterday he go, went under forty six. Yeah, and that's and a, that's an, so an eternity. A place, guys. And, and it's an eternity. That's Bob Beeman territory almost. Uh, and it 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 it's uh, at that kind of level, like it it. Mm. And the guy he beat looked like he caught him, and he had in the hurdles. Normally, you don't have a second win because you get to that last hurdle and you're just staggering and you just try to make it. He slowed down, timed it so his foot came up, and picked up speed. The guy had caught him. The American had caught him. The American also broke the existing world record. And the third place guy was only 0.2 off the record and basically matched what the record had been just 32 days ago. So so, so just yeah. 32 days yeah. ago, three people now went under what the world record had been for 29 years. We got to run, but you know what I'm really hoping? What I'm really hoping is that DeGrasse wins gold in the 200 yep. and Canadian right. media being really cheeky, thinking back to 1990, whatever year it was uh, with the Donovan Bailey, all declare that now Andre DeGrasse is the world's fastest man because he won the 200. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately call, I mean, you know who they're going to call right away. They're going to call us who's going to be. Yeah, I think, and anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about doesn't remember the run between Michael Johnson and Donovan Bailey at Sky Dome because the Americans declared the 200-meter winner the fastest man. And yes, that would be very cheeky of Canadian media to do that. And what it was in 1996. uh, 96, uh, right, thank you. Yeah, right. Now, the race at the Sky Dome was until, what, 97, I believe. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it was uh, it was an event. We could use another event like that. It would bring track back. You know what? Uh, Steve I Milton, mind, go ahead quickly. I was just to say, there were 25,000 people there. Oh, yeah. Was that it? I thought there were more. Yeah, there might have it been was more big. than that. I, you, know, I, you, know, I, you know, I was on the ground. It was hard to tell. You know, you were just watching all the antics there. But, uh, you know, and Donovan smoked him. It wasn't the other guy. I mean, come on. No, it was, uh, that, was a, that was a brilliant, brilliant little bit of uh, theater that, uh, that we could use some more of. We really could. I, w- I could. would love to see that again. Steve Milton, okay. always appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for doing okay. this. Talk to you later, Scott. 
The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.